Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. It was perfect. Then he created Adam and Eve, and they were perfect. You had two perfect human beings living in a perfect body, living in a perfect world, in a perfect relationship with God their Father. It's beyond our imagination. Everything was in perfect harmony, even with the animal kingdom. The environment was perfect, and everything was going to be eternal. They were going to live forever, immortal, with God. God gave them one clear command. Stay away from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. The day that you touch it, the day that you eat it, you will surely die. They made a decision to listen to the lie, the lie from the devil, who said that God is lying. You will not die. God knows that when you eat from this tree, you're going to become like God. So they chose to listen to the lie instead of listen to the source of truth. They made the worst decision possible. It was the massacre of innocence. It devastated the entire human race. It had devastating impact upon our planet. Our planet has never been the same since then. This is what God meant by, you will die. Death will come. Destruction will come. And it came. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, It affected the whole human race. The first consequence is that we're now separated from God. Nobody comes into this world when you're born with a relationship with God as your father. A lot of people believe that. They'll say things like, well, God's everyone's father. I get what you're saying if you mean that he's the creator. If you mean he's the father in that way, yes. But we are distanced from God, separated, the Bible says. In fact, it even says in Ephesians chapter 2 that our sin has made us an enemy of God. But that is not what God wants. That's not what he desires. But that's how serious sin is to God. He's that holy. He can have nothing to do with sin. Or he ceases to be holy. The whole human race was also infected with what's called a sin nature. What I mean by that is the Bible says that you're born with a desperately wicked heart. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing good stuff. You can do good things. But many times the reason we do good things is for selfish reasons. Because we want to be noticed. Because we know we're going to get something for it. They're going to do something back for us, right? If I do this, right? If I volunteer over there, right? That'll be good on my resume, right? We're so corrupted. We're so manipulative. No one taught us to lie. No one taught us to cheat or steal, to be violent. No one told us that word that is probably like the first word that comes out of our mouth, mine. We're selfish by nature. That's what the Bible's talking about when it says we have a sin nature. You know who we got that from? Adam. That was passed on to us. Every generation passes it on. I passed it on to my kids. 
one of my daughters, she got my blue eyes. One of my daughters got my stubbornness. (laughs) My son, he got a lot of my wife, which is good. One thing I definitely passed on to all three is sinfulness, a sinful heart. It keeps getting passed on every generation. Sin also created conflict with each other. In the book of James, it says, where do arguments and fights and quarrels and just all this drama and even war, where does it come from? He says, does it not come from your selfish desires? Think about the last time you got in an argument. Think about the last time you were in a serious fight with somebody. Maybe you're still in one. Maybe there's still drama. The bottom line is somebody didn't get what they wanted. This is all a result of sin. We become selfish. Sin also makes us captives. We become prisoners to it. We get involved in things that make us feel good for a little bit. We drink up a little bit to the point that we get a buzz on. Then we drink a little more. We get drunk. We get high. And we say, I'm just going to do it once. And then you do it again and again. And then what used to get you high isn't enough. It leads to more. More use or something harder. Pornography works the same way. What used to do it for you isn't enough. It becomes something much more graphic. It could even become something illegal that you begin to look at or sin back and forth with somebody else. You try to stop, but you can't stop. Maybe you come to camp and you realize, like, that's got to change. I'm not going to do that anymore. And you realize that in your own strength and your own power, you can't break the chains. How many times has there been something in your life that you said, I'm never going to do that again, only to find yourself right back at it? How many times has there been something in your life that you've said, oh, God, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again if you get me out of this. And you go right back to it. I don't understand what's funny. This is the most serious thing in the universe, what I'm talking about. We become prisoners, we become addicts, and there's nothing funny about it. I've had family and I've had friends completely destroyed. I've watched them die. I've had students in my youth ministry commit suicide because of addictions they couldn't get out of. The last thing is sin brings death. It brings death to all of us. You're going to die. There's nothing funny about that. Oh, we make light of it at Halloween. And I'm not against trick-or-treating, but it's always comical to me. All the tombstones, the ghosts, the goblins, the grim reaper. Everybody, it's a big joke that night. But you go to a graveyard. You walk it at night by yourself. Creeps you out. You ever touched a cold, dead body? I have. 
You ever touch the body of a friend or a family member that's lying there in a casket dead and they're cold and you know all that's there is flesh and bones and they're gone. They're not in there anymore. They've gone somewhere. This is reality. And this is what death has caused for all of us. We're all going to die. I can't take that away from you guys. But what I don't want you to experience is what the Bible says is the second death. And that is eternal separation from God in a place of torment. I don't totally understand what this place hell is like. I've heard preachers describe it and try to scare people like crazy. All I know is, for sure, there's no love there. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no joy. There's none of the goodness of God. And I also know there's no escape. Everything bad that you've done in your life, you will pay for it there forever and ever and ever. That's what sin does. That's how serious it is. It's the worst news ever. But then, just like we saw in this drama, this drama is portraying what the Bible talks about. God steps back in. And he says, I'm going to do something about this. I have a plan. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, my only son, to save humanity. They deserve death because of their sin. But what if I send him and he dies for them? What if he pays the price for them? And I offer that to them as a free gift. He won't force it upon you. It's a gift. You have to receive it. I'm not talking about offering you guys religion. Most of us in this room, if not all of us, we're pretty sick of religion. I'm talking about institutionalized, like human, man-made religion, big organizations. We turn on the news and we find out that another spiritual leader, look what they did. We see fakes, we see phonies. I have every reason to give God the middle finger, church the middle finger, every, all of it, the Bible. I told you, every person that abused me and hurt me, even sexually, claimed to be a Christian. But you know what I've discovered? They're not God. That wasn't God. God would have never done that to me. God allowed that to happen because God had a plan. God had a plan to save Jason and rescue Jason in 11th grade and to begin healing Jason over decades. A kid asked me last night, man, I don't know if I could ever be where, where you are. I said, man, where am I? Where do, you, where do you think I am? Am I giving the wrong impression up here? I've come a long way, but I was in counseling two weeks ago. Do you not realize that I go to coaching once a week to make sure that I don't go back to things like pornography? Do you not realize that I have guys in my life, strong Christian brothers, like even my youth pastor I mentioned that still check on me? 
I don't have it all together. All I can tell you is I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I want to be and who I'm going to be. I'm still changing. That's what God came to do to save us and to change us. None of us are ever going to be perfect people until we get to heaven. We're all struggling with something. All of us. The person in here that thinks they got it all together, you're delusional. Or you're just a liar. You don't have anything together, really, down deep in your heart. You've got issues. You might be better than somebody in one way. You might be able to say, well, I don't do what they do. You would die if you knew what this person did, and she's even in my cabin. Okay, what sounds like your big issue is pride, arrogance, and you're a judgmental snob. It's all sin. And Jesus says, I've come to die for all of it. I want to show you a couple of my favorite verses in the Bible up here on the screen. A lot of you know this one by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why did God send Jesus, his son? So that we don't have to perish. What does that mean, perish? Go to hell. Suffer for our sins. Maybe somebody has confused real Christianity to you. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done for you. He sent his son to pay the price for you. Theologians call it the substitutionary death of Christ. You know that word substitute. That's where somebody comes in place of someone else. You see, the person who deserved to die and pay for their sins is us. And Jesus says, excuse me, I will pay the price. I'll take it. That's what the cross was about. The Bible says that in that moment, when Christ was on the cross, he bore our sins. He took them upon himself. And in that moment, history records, history, historically, that in the midday, the world went black. In Jerusalem, right outside Jerusalem where he's being crucified, it goes black. It was the moment where God the Father turned his back on his son. Why? Because it was the first time that his son became sin. He didn't commit sin. He took our sins for us. I don't totally understand it, but in a spiritual sense, God saw all of our sins on Jesus, and he turned away. That is what Jesus dreaded the most. Jesus wasn't scared of nails and a crown of thorns about getting beat by man. He doesn't fear man. You say, why was Jesus so worked up in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross? Why did he sweat so bad there was drops of blood coming through his pores? Why that worked up, Jesus? Were you scared of the cross? No, he said, is there any way, Father, that this cup could pass from me? What did he dread? being separated from his father because they'd never in all of eternity been separated. They've always been in complete oneness, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. But he takes on sin. 
In that moment, he's separated from the Father. He's buried. The devil thinks that he has won. He thinks he's beaten the Son of God. He's rejoicing. But what he didn't understand that was predicted or prophesied in the Scriptures, the ancient Jewish Scriptures, it was already predicted on the third day he will physically, bodily rise from the dead. And he comes back. This is no hocus pocus. This is no fantasy. This is no legend. This is no myth. This is historical fact. Jesus of Nazareth, God's perfect son, dies and on the third day comes back. And he is seen by over 500 at once. And the disciples that followed him and saw him come back from the dead, Do you realize that almost every one of them died a martyr's death? You don't die a martyr's death unless you're convinced. I saw him and he's real. Do you realize the man that God used to write the majority of the New Testament, a man by the name of Paul, he used to hate Christians. He would have them sentenced to death. He persecuted God's church. He thought the Jesus thing was a bunch of bull until he met the resurrected Christ. And even when he became a follower of Jesus, the religious leaders, the, the, the Christians were like, I don't, I don't, I'm scared. This is the guy that was having Christians killed. Saul of Tarsus. And God's like, no, no, I changed his name from Saul to Paul. You say, why does he do that? Because when Jesus invades, man, it's a whole new life. It just changes. I told you last night, do you have a head faith or a heart faith? I was thinking about a way to explain it. I was thinking about here at the ranch years ago when they first got the zip line. All the campers wanted me to go on the zip line, right? Come on, Jay, you got to go on the zip line. This is years ago. I go to one of the guys that works here, Mike Chaya. I think that's how you say his last name. And I said, Mike, what do you know about the zip line? He goes, everything. I helped with the planning, the construction, whatever. I went up there with a notepad and a pen. I said, tell me every single thing you know. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, what's the actual line made out of? Galvanized airplane metal. I mean, he just starts spewing stuff out. What about the telephone poles, the things like that? How far in the ground are they sunk? He knew everything, how deep they were. I said, how far does it span? I said, tell me about the nylon straps, the harnesses, things like that. Tell me about the carabiners. He goes, man, we we double rig, we'll triple rig. He goes, you're in a nylon strap. You've got this, this, and that. I was was like, what's the weight limit that it can hold? He goes, that thing can easily take 800 pounds across each line. He's like, you don't weigh that. I said, have people successfully gone across and made it to the other side? He goes, absolutely. Absolutely. And he goes, every year we have to get it inspected by the state of Maryland. They check everything. We can't run that thing without a state inspection and approval every single year. I'm leaving out a bunch. He told me everything. I looked at him. I said, I'm going to do it tomorrow. He goes, good. Do it. I get up there. His wife was the one up there strapping me in. She used to work at Venture Camp back in the day. I was ready. I had everything on. 
They radioed from the other side. Tell the speaker to come on. Go. I'm hesitating, man. I mean, you're up there. If it doesn't got me, I die or I'm a paraplegic for life. His wife was like, just step out. I said, you sure it's got me? She goes, step out and find out for yourself. Then there's campers down at the bottom that start making noises, like chicken noises. I'm looking at them, I'm like, you wait till I get down there, you ain't going to be making them noises. They're like, we already went across. Chicken. I said one last prayer, and I stepped out. And I was scared in that moment. My stomach did that thing like on a roller coaster. And fear turned into nothing but exhilaration. And I went across, and I began to giggle like a little kid. I got to the other side, and I said, can I do it again? They're like, yeah, hurry up. I could know every single thing about that zip line, and I did. I had it written down. I knew everything in my head. I had a head faith in the zip line. I even saw people go across, and I could look at you and be like, I know it works. I know it holds people. I know. I know. I can preach it. I can travel the country talking about it. How do you know? Well, I met with Mike. He told me everything intellectually I should know about it, scientifically, engineering-wise, and I saw people go across. Or I don't have to say a word. You could just go, there he goes. It's obvious he has faith in the zip line. Jason doesn't have to say anything. There he goes again. You see, we got a lot of people in the world that talk a lot about Jesus. They got a lot of talky-talky, but not much walky-walky. You got to step out. That's heart faith. It's where you give God your life. You surrender. You say, God, I'm not in charge anymore. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Let me wrap up and show you these last couple verses. This is how a person can be saved. The Apostle Paul, the one I was talking to you about, this is what he told the believers in the city of Rome. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He goes on and says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a free gift. There's a point where you say, man, I know about it, but I put it right here. I'm going to believe in my heart. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to put my full weight on what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to completely trust in that. I'm not going to trust in religion. I'm not going to trust in my confirmation class. I'm not going to trust in my denomination. I'm not going to trust in the fact that I was baptized twice. I'm not going to trust in anything I've done, all my good deeds. I'm going to completely trust who he is, and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, I give him my life. And when you do that, he says, call on me. 
Call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to give you a moment to go outside and get alone with God. I'm not going to tell you what to pray. I'm not going to make you recite a prayer after me. Some of you in here, you are already Christians. You've told me, you've said, Jason, I got saved last year when you were here. Some of you told me three years ago, Jason, you were here, man. I gave my life to Jesus. Praise God. Some of you can remember it was either in here or a spot out there. There's one of you in here, you're like, man, I got saved here, and I got baptized in the creek here, dude. I'm excited for you, but there are some of you here that that has never really gone down and been real. Listen, you can be forgiven for all of your sins. You can have God as your father. You can have new life. You can have purpose and meaning. We become your brothers and sisters in Jesus. We get to go to heaven when we die. And man, heaven's not what you think. It's not just clouds and harps and white robes and boredom. It's going to blow your mind. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence there is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. That's heaven. I want you to be there. So what do you have to do? Believe in your heart. And when you go outside, find a place and you do business with God, And you call on the name of the Lord, God, Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinner. And you tell him whatever you need to tell him. You don't got to tell me. I'm not your priest, what you've done. But begin to name it. Man, I've done this. I got this in my heart. I've thought this. I've looked at this. I've said this. I've smoked this. I've done. This is me. I give you all my sins. Come in me. Save me. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. However you need to word it, you go word it. I'm not going to baby you and tell you how to pray this. Go talk to the one who died for you. Tell him how messed up you are and call on him and say, you do it. If it's real, you do it. You come in me. There was a girl in Columbine, Colorado that came to a camp just like this. She heard a message like this, and she got up before the service was even over. This girl, man, she was even planning the murder of her parents. She was messed up, dark. They found her journals and figured all this out. She was at a camp like this, and she went off. No one told her to. She she just did it. She found a spot by herself out at the camp in Colorado. And she did what I'm telling you guys to do. She got real with God. She came back. She wrote it in her journal. She said, I've I've laid my life down. I now belong to him. And she changed. Her name was Cassie Bernal. In 1999, it was really the first massive school shooting in the United States at Columbine High School. One of the killers walked right up to her. They knew her because she was an outspoken Christian. She had completely changed. And he walked up to her with a shotgun. And he tried to intimidate her. He put it right at her, right at her face. And he said, you believe in God? Her answer, she said, yes, I believe in God. And he pulled the trigger and he killed her. Her mother found her journals and learned about her. And what everybody thought was so tragic 
dude, it sparked just like this fire for Christians that were in her school that were trying to hide, not really live the life. And when they found out about Cassie's faith, that she was willing to look a shotgun in the eye and say, yeah, I believe in him. And she knew no matter what you do to me, the moment you do it, if you do it, I'm going to be with him. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body, if you're a Christian, is to be present with the Lord. Immediately. That's where you go. I'm going to pray for you guys and we're going to dismiss. You're going to have some time to go meet with God, get all alone. If that's not your thing, you're not into that, just don't distract others. That's all I'm asking for even in here when I'm teaching. If you're not into it, I'm not mad at you. I still love you. It's fine. But don't distract others. If you were up here seriously talking about Buddhism, I would not laugh and distract others. If you were talking that you believe the trees are the savior of the universe, and if you hug them, you'll have eternal life, I would respect you. I'm going to pray for you guys, and I want you to go do business with God. When the bell rings, I want you to come back in here into the OTM. Got a little bit more for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to pay the ultimate price for our sinfulness. God, right now, I pray that you would meet these students as they go outside and they come to talk to you. God, that you would listen to their hearts, cry out, and ask for salvation. That you would save them, that you would come into them, that you would give them new life, that you would give them a new leader, that you would give them new longings in their heart, and that you would give them a new love in their heart for you and for other people and for truth and for righteousness. God, work in them and then work through them. Raise up warriors from these students, these campers, God, that will live for you and not be afraid to do it in a world that is so anti-you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.